0: Welcome to the show once again. I'm Giles and today I'm going to be sharing some wisdom principles with you taken from the life of the prodigal son. And as you're going to see, if you apply these principles in your life, you're going to go a long way, fly higher, achieve more in accelerated time. So I know this is going to really put fuel in your tank to, and sharpen your sword to uh, get more things done this year. So sit back, enjoy. After the music, I'll be back And uh, I know you're going to be inspired. God bless you. If you remember, I started speaking to you about wisdom and I used as a basis the story of the prodigal son. And I gave you some keys from that story that I think are absolutely vital for your ministries. And... And to be honest, can be applied in all sorts of different areas of life, um, but I thought it'd be good to to revisit some some of those or, or the second part of what I was sharing, okay? Because we only got halfway through, so we've got a few minutes more now. I'll just remind you what I'd said, and I'm not going to talk about the story because you know it so well. But we saw firstly that. This is the principle that your, your decisions determine your circumstances. OK, the prodigal decided to leave and that determined his circumstances. OK, he, and, and why is that important? Because so often we blame others for our circumstances. The prodigal didn't do that. He didn't blame the fact that there was a famine. He didn't blame his friends who left him. He didn't blame the government, the, whatever else. You know, that's what people do. They blame their husbands. They blame them. The politicians, they blame whatever. They just, you know, in the end, you have to take personal responsibility. One of the greatest curses today is this victim spirit. And it's one of the strategies of those who are ideologically possessed with these kind of really left wing ideologies. If you don't mind me just focusing on that, what that ideology wants to do is always to make you always to divide society and make you anti the system. Okay, so you don't look at any of your own faults or failures. You always look at the fault or the failure of society or the system. And, of course, by doing so, they negate that there's anything wrong with themselves. And, of course, that goes right against the gospel because the gospel's message is that the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. And we've all got one of these problematic hearts. But here's the good news. You can change heart. You can get a new one, you know, and the more people get new hearts, then the more society is transformed for the better because the new heart isn't selfish, it's selfless. It doesn't just serve itself, it serves others, you know. So that's why we're preachers of the new, new birth. So the devil will have everybody focusing on other people as the problem rather than myself as the problem. Uh, the great author and playwright G.K. Chesterton Um, I don't know if you have read him, one of the greatest minds of the last century. Um, he was a Catholic, but he was a brilliant, brilliant theologian. And once in the, in the Times, the top newspaper in the, in the UK, um, the editor wrote, what's the biggest problem in the world today? And people wrote in different letters to the Times newspaper to, explain what the problem was, whether it was politics or economics or whatever, you know, lots of climate change. (laughs) I don't know what was going on at the time. But G.K. Chesterton wrote a very short letter. It said, Dear Sir, in answer to your question, I am yours sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. So in other words, in answer to your question, what is the biggest problem in the world today? I am yours sincerely. So, the, so he just saw it so clearly. The real problem is me. It's the fact that I haven't got a new heart, that I still think of myself, that selfishness is in the heart of the human being. Change that. You change the root. Change the root. You change the fruit. So the prodigal, anyhow, he took on responsibility. He didn't blame anyone else. You know, if you're going to change your life, you've got to take personal responsibility. That's the point. As long as you're looking for excuses, you never change. You never go anywhere you got you got to realize, hey, my level of finances today is the result of my decisions of yesterday. I'm not going to blame my teacher. I'm not going to blame the school. I'm not going to blame anyone else. I live in the house that I live in today because of decisions, you know, that have been made before. You know, it's like the old expression, you make your bed, you sleep in it. If you don't like the bed you sleep in, make it in the mornings. Don't blame other people. You're the result of your yesterday decision. So if you want, but I mean, the good news is this, you can based on the same principle, you can change your future. So if you want a better future, change your decisions today and you can do that. I mean, I'm even teaching my kids. We're now studying. I I mean, obviously we're Bible people. We're a missionary family. Our hearts are in the kingdom, but one thing. I've really learned with time. And I wish I'd had people who taught me younger at your age. But there's nothing wrong with being a missionary and a millionaire at the same time. If you think about it, it means you can do more. If your heart's right, it means you can do more. And, if, and these days, I'm not saying that we're going to stop focusing and prioritizing the kingdom of God. But, you know, there are strategies that you can learn to make you prosper. And so why not learn them? Because if you think about it, you know, the wealthier I am, the more more missionaries I can sponsor, the more churches I can plant. And in any case, it's also a testimony to the goodness of God, the grace of God. So that gives me an extra witness rather than being a poor missionary, which was the kind of model I was brought up in, is that missionaries had to be poor. And then we had to go back to our sending countries with a begging bowl and ask people to help us and show them how poor and how much suffering we we were undergoing. And so that's how I was brought up, you know, in the mission field. And I just got sick and tired of it because I've got a brain, too. Why can't, why can't I be wealthy, too? Where's, where's the problem? Now, I'm not saying I'm in love with money, but money really helps. It's like John Wesley said, and this is going back to Wesley, he said money is medicine for the sick, it's clothing for the naked, it's food for the hungry. You know, so let's get lots of it. And so if there are ways of getting, you know, you can grow wealthy with pretty basic financial intelligence, but we're kind of in the ministry. We think, oh, no, that's not for us. We shouldn't we shouldn't really focus on that. Well, I'm not asking you to make it a priority, but I am asking you to get wise about it because, you know, you've got to look after your finances of your own family. You've got to look after the finances of your church. And here's the thing. Financial intelligence you can get quite easily and that will make a difference. So you're gonna be using the same amount of time looking after your finances. Why not get wiser in that area? So with the time that you put to finances, you make more. Now that's wisdom, isn't it? But here's the deal. To grow financially wise, you gotta study a bit. And that's really the big difference. People just don't study about finances. You don't learn it at school. A lot of us don't have parents who have been good examples so we stay in the same place we're stuck in the rut so i said to my children titus is on this call i'll tell you a bit more about him in a moment but i said guys we need to separate a time every week and my kids are all teenagers but i said i want to separate separate a time each week just a little bit of time not so much time but a little bit of time to study about finances because that would just help you whatever you put your hand to and they've all got hearts for the Lord, and they're all going to serve the Lord. But boy, you know that this is this is the point, guys. That they're taking responsibility already for their financial life. I want to encourage you to do the same. Maybe in the future we can talk about this at a bit different level. I, I have, I do have a mentorship group in Portuguese um, here in Brazil uh, under the subject of the elevated life. It's one of the things I've been teaching them about, because you can have an elevated life in Christ Jesus. The Bible says that we've been raised up to sit together with him in heavenly places. Now, most people know that scripture, but they don't experience that. They don't experience the elevated life. Maybe they do in one area, but often not in finances or relationships. And so they're out there in the ministry, but they don't have much peace and joy at home and they don't have much money to spend. Well, the promise is an elevated life, all things that pertain to life. Second Peter says, you know, every type of blessing in spiritual places that were well, every type of blessing because you've got every type of need. So that includes financial need. You know, so so most people don't don't experience that. So, I, you know, I set up this mentorship and one of the reasons is just to help people get up there because the grace is available, the blessings are available, but we've got blocks in our minds on the one hand, and then we haven't accessed the kind of passcodes and kind of using modern terminology, but we just don't know how to access those blessings. So I'm teaching people about that and that's really helping them live out the elevated life. Maybe that's something we can do here as well in English. Um, You know, as I told you at the beginning of the year, this group will transform. Into a slightly different format during the year, Um, but enough enough of that for the moment. I just want you to just be really responsible for your own lives. See, if you can take responsibility for your for your past decisions and realize that you're in the place you are today because of your past decision, that will really help you because suddenly you're grown up. Kind of like okay, so I'm here today. Because of my past decisions. But here's the glory. If I can really get wise now and make some great decisions today, then that guarantees me a much better future. That's what God has for us, a much better future. Okay. So, you know, never complain about separating time to grow wise, get, get wisdom, get, get anointing. That's what you need. So anyhow, back to the prodigal quickly. So that's the first principle. You realize that his decisions determined his circumstances. He went to the pig pie because of bad decisions, but he could get back to the father's house because of a good decision. That's how it works. One good decision changes everything. Okay. Secondly, he understood that if people don't help you, they'll end up hindering you. And so you have to be careful about who you walk with. In a sense, getting rid of those friends of his was the best thing that happened to him. Okay? So don't hang on to relationships that hold you back. You can't choose your family, but you can choose your friends. Choose wisely. Walk with the wise and be wise. So we looked at that as well. You might want to go back and re-listen to that, that recording. Okay, third thing we learned was how intolerance with your present will determine your future. You have to get to that place where you're just fed up with your current situation, okay? And remember that, I think I spoke about this, there's a difference between satisfaction and contentment. Paul said that maturity means that you learn to be content in every situation, okay? So whether you're eating rice and beans or beautiful steak, you, you learn to be content, whether, you know, because you're a man of God now, you're not just, you know, you, you can put up with stuff. You're a big boy now, okay? You can sacrifice stuff if necessary for the good of others. People, un- you understand that. You can go through hardship to get the gospel out or to get a bigger dream fulfilled, of course. So you learn to be content because you, you kind of know that there's a bigger picture in in play here, but satisf- satisfaction is different. Doesn't mean to say you should be satisfied with suffering, or satisfied with the the level of you know finances you have, or the type of marriage you have, or whatever. No, you you know that you should use dissatisfaction to drive you to a better place. But you've got to get fed up with it, like I say, because if you don't get fed up with it, then you're still in the place of asking rather than seeking or knocking. When you get fed up with something, that's when you really go to God and say, Lord, you've got to change this. Help me. Lord, have mercy. You know, that's a different level of prayer. Amen. Then we said that there's no change without pain. And this is the kind of the one of the biggest dividing factors, because everybody wants to change. Everybody wants a better life. You know, if you go walk into a room of people and say, lift up your hand if you want a better life, who on earth is going to keep their hand down? Nobody. But the rubber hits the road when you say, well, I'm glad you want a better life. But to have a better life, you've got to go through some pain. There's no change without pain. And that, that's where people might agree with you, but they don't follow you. You know, their attitudes and actions show that it's, they're not really willing to go through that. There's a bit of pain involved. You know, um, the pain's not your enemy, guys. It's just a sign that something is out of place. Okay, a fever is a sign that something's out of line in your body. So the fever manifests the fever's a result so pain is a result when you feel when you feel uncomfortable about something it's because something's out of line so actually where you feel pain about something it's a signpost for you something wrong here guys you need to address something here okay whether it's finances or relationships or ministry or you know whatever it is pain is a good thing to discover because it shows you hey there's something you're not addressing there's something you're not considering something that's causing you this there's a there's a thorn in your foot you've got to remove it you know otherwise you've got this pain and so you know you've got you gotta go for it And, and and dealing with painful things isn't pleasant but to get often to get to the next level you've got to go through it so I tell a story about how I on my father-in-law's farm here i love to climb up the mountains and the hills to go and pray and i looked i saw the biggest i saw the biggest hill and i said right i'm going to climb up that one it took me about 3 hours i had to go through thorns and thistles to get there and it was the heat of the brazil sun i got to the top i was lifted my hands to praise the lord and then suddenly you know what i saw i saw another hill behind the hill i was on And guess what? This hill was higher than the one I was on. And I hadn't couldn't see it from down below. And I thought to myself, boy, I've climbed up the wrong hill. This isn't the highest one. And I thought, I don't want to be on the second highest hill. I want to be on the highest hill. And it kind of took away all my enthusiasm. (laughs) And I started, I thought to myself, well, I got to go and climb that other hill. But here was the deal. In order to get to the other hill, guess what I had to do? Go down the first hill, back through the thorns and the thistles. So I went down that hill complaining and mumbling, <laughs> complaining to God. And the Lord really spoke to me. and said, son, in your life, I'm always going to show you a higher mountain. You get to one peak, and I'm going to show you another one. And I want you to climb that higher mountain. And I, that's what I want for everybody. I've got higher places for them. The difference is, though, many people aren't willing to go down that mountain and pay the price to go up the next one. They, just, they get content with the level that they're at because it's painless now. But if you want change, you want to go higher, you have to confront the pain. Don't look for comfort, guys. Look for the purpose of God for comfort. Okay, let me touch on this because, boy, our time's flying. And we, and there, <laughs> I think I had 10 points and I'm only on five here, so we might have to have another session. But let me just deal with this one. Number five, you'll never change who you are until you perceive who you can be. Let me say it again. You'll never change who you are until you perceive who you can be. Well, let's put it this way, who you really are. You know, I was on a fasting and prayer week and uh, we were praying and the Lord reminded me of something that he'd shown me. I got up and I said it to all the pastors and boy, the response was really amazing. They were so thankful. I got up and I said, look, many of you are struggling with your own identity you kind of don't know who you are, you don't know what you're called to do. You're not really sure of what God made what what God has made you to be. Because you know, once you discover that, you can rest for the rest of your life, you can focus. A lot of pastors just don't really know people in general have really no idea who they are, what what their calling is. And I said, let me help you here. I said, the person you are when you're full of the Holy Spirit is the real person. That's who you are. So when you're full of the Holy Spirit, what type of person are you? What type of gifts do you flow in? What's your way, your being, your characteristic? Not when you're double-minded or lukewarm or whatever. I'm saying when you're really full of the Holy Spirit, who are you? That's the real you. You see, because what does the Spirit do? He magnifies what's on the inside. That's, that's what he does. So you get, so people get to see it and you get to see who you really are when you're full of the Spirit. If you're not full of the Spirit, watch out. Don't make a decision when you're not full of the Spirit. Don't determine who you are when you're not full of the Spirit. You know, when David was full of fear, he became a madman. You remember that? He began slobbering at the mouth, pretending to be crazy. But when he was full of the spirit, he was a giant killer. So who was the real David? The giant killer, the great king. You've got to really perceive who you are, because most of us define ourselves according to circumstances, according to other people's opinions, according to our family background. And so we, we, we sell out. We have the wrong self-image. You, really, you can never really achieve something until you know who you really are. You see, what you do is a result of who you are. When you know who you really are, then what you do becomes powerful. You don't need to do too much. If you think about it. Jesus only worked for three and a half years in the ministry, but everything he did was so powerful and with eternal consequences. Why? because he knew who he was, son of man, son of God, you know? And so just everything was done with this incredible presence or sense of purpose or or knowledge that he was doing what he was called to do. And that's the difference. A lot of pastors are double-minded. A lot of people are not really sure. And so they don't have faith and boldness in what they do. Most people sell out for a different image of themselves. You know, I read an amazing book some time ago now. Again, I read it for the older children here. If you can find it, it's a really good read. It's called A Girl Without a Name. And it's a story of a little girl who was abducted in Colombia. She was abducted from her back garden in Colombia by a man and who put a rag over her mouth and caused her to pass out. And she was only a little girl i think of about three or four years of age maybe maybe five or six and he ran with her all she remembers is him running with her for a long long time entering the jungle and then suddenly he dumps her on the floor and disappears she's a little girl out there in the jungle and you know she has to spend that first night in amongst the, the creatures of the night and the darkness and the cold and and anyhow, cutting the story short, she she um, was left abandoned in the jungle. The guy never came back. He obviously got frightened by something and just left her and and this incredible story unrolls about how she was brought up in the jungle by a troop of monkeys. Because some monkeys found her and she Followed them because they were the only sort of friendly looking creatures that she found. And the monkeys accepted her into their troop. And she learned, she learned literally to live like a monkey, to eat like the monkeys, to communicate with the monkeys with all their sounds, to walk like monkeys on her four legs with her knuckles on the ground. And she spent a number of years in the jungle being raised by monkeys. It's the most extraordinary tale. But cutting to the chase, she tells because the way the story comes out is years later, her children, I'm not going to tell you all the story, but they managed to get her story out of her when they interviewed her. But anyhow, she's up in that she would sleep in the trees with the monkeys. And one day she saw something shiny on the ground. And of course, shiny things in the jungle are very rare. So she kind of saw it, looked at it. But what's that? She got down off the tree. She picked up this shiny little object. And as she looked at it and in the object, she suddenly saw two eyes staring at her. She got freaked out, threw this thing away. Then she thought, boy, what is that thing? Shiny with eyes inside. And she couldn't help but go back and pick it up again. Same reaction. The eyes are there. She threw it away, scared. She picks it up a number of times, looks at it and then begins to dawn on her that actually it's a mirror. And she's looking at her own eyes and her own face. But here's the incredible thing. It was in that moment or through that process that she realized something. She realized, I'm not a monkey. I'm a different creature. I don't look like them. I thought I was a monkey. And then sometime later, two hunters come through the bush, the jungle, you know, literally to shoot animals, and she sees these hunters, and she thinks, hang on, those creatures are like what I am, and so she climbs down out of a tree and presents herself to these hunters. That's just part of the story of how she initially gets out of the jungle. The point is, for us here, anyhow, is most of us kind of define ourselves by the jungle or by the people we've hung out. We kind of think we're monkeys. we got to take a look in the mirror and realize we're not that species. You know, you can follow the parallel, at least. I'm not saying literal monkeys, of course, but my point is this. We are a new species on Earth, and if you look into the mirror of the Word of God, you'll see that there is a different species on Earth. It's called the new creature. Sons of God. And so you have, to, you have to perceive who you really are because, you know, until you do, you can never really do anything great. The more you, you you understand your identity in Christ, the more you can do for him, the more fruit will spontaneously flow through you. Hallelujah. Because the more you understand who you are, the more you understand who other people are. Do you follow like when I see you guys, I honestly say this, I see you as kings and priests. I treat you as such. When you treat people like that, you'll get the best out of them. What does religion do? Religion makes me holy and you guys all second, you know, because I'm I'm leading. So I'm the, I'm the anointed holy one. And then everybody else is like second rate, second class citizens. No. Christianity inverts that. You know, the, the leaders become servants. We're here to pick people up, Rob. tell people who you really are. Hope that, pray that you go further, climb higher, fly, fly higher, all the rest of it. I hope you're following my, my point. So you, you've got to see that in yourself and you've got to see that in others. And suddenly you're now ministering new covenant revelations. It's, it's new covenant that changes people, not old covenant guides. When you understand the new covenant, you're changed. You know, if somebody starts telling you what you should be, could be, would be, you know, then they're kind of putting pressure on you. Just show them who they really are. Perceive who you really are. Show people who they really are. That's all you need to do. Show them the mirror. Get them to look and see that they're a different creature. Then they'll start acting like a different creature. You know, if I can show you that you're called to be prophets in this earth, you are a prophet, you're a different race, then now you'll be attracted to the prophets. If I can show you that you're called to be um, you know, a king, you'll walk with kings. Like the girl was attracted to walk with a different species. I mean, I was talking earlier even about finances. If I can show you that you're called to prosper, you'll start walking with prosperous people. I'm not saying you'll you'll alienate yourself from people who are poor, absolutely not. We're here to minister to the poor, but it doesn't mean to say that you walk with the poor. It's different that you get mentored by the poor. Do you follow what I'm saying here? You wanna help the poor, be rich. Amen. Couple more points. You were created to solve a problem. Don't go after money, go after problems to solve. One of the great lessons of life. People want a paycheck, they want a promotion don't go after those things. Look for a problem and solve it. Then money will come after you. There are a lot of problems around in the world. There's no shortage of problems. So there's no shortage of of people who will pay you to resolve those problems. And I know I sound very commercial and business-like right now, and I know you're ministers, but You know, as a minister, you're a problem solver. That's the whole point. You solve the biggest problems of all, which are heart issues, spirit issues. You solve root issues. So really, if you think about it, you are the best blessing this world could ever receive is what you have to teach and to say. Coaches can deal with outward things, but preachers can deal with inward things, deep things, heart issues. You know, I'm not trying to denigrate coaches because they can deal in the soulish realm. And of course, there are coaches who are spiritual, too. So but my point is, you are the you you as problem solvers can solve the world's biggest problems because you solve the deepest problem of the heart. And also you can deal with spiritual issues, even, you know, doctors, thank God for doctors, but they can't cast out demons. Let's be honest. Can't break curses. Let's be honest. These are real things. You can take all the medicines in the world, have the top doctor in the world. But if you've got a a curse or a demon problem, you need a preacher. That's So these are deep things, deep things. Now, I'm not saying you should merchandise your anointing or sell your ministry, but that means if you're solving the deepest, most complex issues of the world, you're worth your wages, my friend. You're worth your wages. Hallelujah. Amen. So a lot of people with problems. If you want to have a big following, a big church, a big cell group, big crusade, then meet people's problems. Put on a program that meets people's problems. Teach people how to come out of poverty. Or, you know, it doesn't have to be those kind of things. You could even put on a course for young people who want to find a married partner or whatever it is. That's a problem they've got. They're desperate to get married. Do something that helps them. You'll find a lot of people come. Hallelujah. Uh, Remember this the bigger the problem, the bigger the paycheck. <laughs> we see that in the life of David and Goliath. Why, why was there such a good promise to the one who killed Goliath? Princess's hand, silver and gold, no taxes. Why? Because it was a big problem. The king wouldn't have offered that reward for a small problem. So if you've got a big problem in your country, in your community, you know in your life well that's a that's a pretty big opportunity you've got right there don't don't think oh that's really tough. I wish I was somewhere else. no just think about how can I bring down that giant? How can I solve that problem if you solve it, wow, your future's bright and remember that the way God resolves problems is by giving birth to a baby so God let me let me explain that. God knows all the problems are in the world today. He's already given birth to babies who are going to be the solution to that problem. You are one of those babies. You're on earth at such a time as this to resolve the problems of this generation. He's put that wisdom in you. Amen. So be encouraged. Okay, quickly now. uh, Number seven, God does not consult your past to determine your future. I mean, this is just the glory of the the glory of the, the new covenant, isn't it? In fact, what he does is he takes people with really messy pasts, really problematic pasts, and he tends to use those ones. See, people might not forget your mistakes, but God does. And you don't actually need people to forget your mistakes. Don't try and force them to forget your mistakes. Just be at peace yourself. Some people are never going to forget your mistakes. Some people are always going to treat you, you know, as the kid next door or whatever it is. Don't worry. Like I said earlier, it's your self-definition that really counts. So everything changes today. Forget the past. All right. There's always a new start in Christ. Number eight, the principal point for the entrance of the enemy in your life is through someone close to you. So remember, we're talking about the prodigal. So the, so the father of the prodigal didn't even mention the sins of the prodigal when he came home. He didn't look at his past, just said, happy you're here, son. People sometimes come to me and they want to tell me all about their problems in the past and all the things they've done that are wrong and amen. If they need to get it off their chest, and confess their sins, hallelujah. I'm open to that, but to be honest, I don't need to know. I don't need to know. I just need to know that you understand grace now. You understand grace, that's the key thing, amen? And so we're also saying here that the point of the entrance for the enemy is by someone close to you. The person who most attacked the prodigal was his brother. The person who most attacked Abel was his brother. The person who most attacked Jesus, if you think about it, was Judas, his treasurer, so just be aware of that. it happens to the best <laughs> if it happened to Jesus, it happened to you. People criticize you, and it hurts most when they know us when you've invested into their lives, when you've walked with them. But again, find your peace in that, but just be at peace with that. don't let that slow you down. Number nine quickly. This is, this is uh, one you may well have heard before, but go to where you're celebrated, not to where you're tolerated. The prodigal headed home because he knew he would be celebrated by his father. Always find a place you're celebrated. It's a good sign about the will of God for you. Nobody really likes you. Nobody really wants you. Why stay there? Jesus didn't stay in Nazareth. They treated him as the son of the carpenter instead of the son of God. So he went somewhere else. Nothing wrong with that. If people honor you, you'll be able to minister into their lives. If they don't honor you, you won't be able to minister. So just find a place. Find a place. Plant a church where where people are happy that you've come to town. Start a cell group where they're thrilled that you came. Just a really great uh, rule. Hallelujah. Speak to those who want to hear from you. Don't try and force people to hear from you. And that might mean a geographical change. Okay, and finally, don't try to deserve the love of the father. Don't try and deserve it. Don't try and conquer his love. Because if you do, you'll get into a works program. If you think that God's only gonna love you because of your behavior, because when you aren't at your best behavior, you'll start thinking that God no longer loves you. His love is independent from your behavior. His love is based on your faith and your believing. Well, let me let me rephrase that in case you misinterpret it. God is love. He's a lover. His love can manifest to you when you believe. Do you believe? You know, sometimes my kids mess up and come and say that. I did this, did that. But it doesn't stop me loving them just glad that they came and told me. And then they're worried that God might be disappointed with them. And I say, well, son, have you stopped believing? No, of course not Dad. I said, well, then be at peace. What pleases God, scripture says it, without faith, you cannot please God. With faith, you please God. So it's just believing in Jesus that pleases God. Okay. So in the story of the prodigal, you know, the prodigal didn't have to try and win the love of his father, just needed to go home. The center of all religion is trying to please God. And it's a nightmare system. It'll leave you anxious and worried. It will it will put you in your grave much earlier. It'll rob you of years, because you're stressed out trying to please God, wondering if He's happy. Let me tell you once and for all, if you are you all believers? You are all believers. Then let me tell you once and for all, God is happy with you because you believe. God is so thrilled. He's so pleased. Just because of that, hallelujah! You just believed, and even in your, when you messed up, you still believed. That makes him doubly happy because now you really appreciate Jesus. great well i hope you enjoyed that let's stay away from religiosity let's get into relationship with the lord he guides us by his spirit he's got good things for each and every one of us glad you tuned in and were built up by this teaching and just to remind you if you want to get behind our ministry we're getting the gospel of grace right across the world through a network of operators or evangelists in lots of different countries then visit our website www.thegreatmission.org sponsoring one of these operators you can literally fill your heavenly bank account and fill heaven's book of life with the names of many new people who are going to be saved because of your involvement many thanks god bless you